So this morning's reading, as Benjamin said, Titus chapter 3, and we'll start from verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show humility toward all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteousness, the righteous things we have had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour so that having been justified by his grace, we might be heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to, do, to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now let us uh, bow in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank and praise you for uh, your word and particularly this uh, important book on um, uh, the health of, uh, of a church uh, from um, Titus. We pray now that uh, your word uh, would impact our lives, uh, change our hearts and affect our actions. And we pray this uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. My heart sunk uh, when I read the uh, media report about a church. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a fairly normal church, uh, just a regular uh, a group of regular gospel-believing Christians in a suburb which I knew because it was where I grew up. Uh, it was a suburb with um, some very different areas uh, in the suburb. Uh, one of which was a, uh, a very a large low-income area where the uh, brokenness in people's lives was more visible than in other places. Uh, that was my area. Uh, there was a middle-class area of the suburb as well and uh, there were pockets of, uh, of wealth, uh, wealthy people living in large houses, also in the same suburb, uh, having a public school right smack bang in the middle of the suburb, was just very, very helpful for uh, 
uh, for me to make friends across those social divides. Although later in life, um, as a Christian, my part was really for those who were doing it tough. And I could see the importance of having that regular suburban church, uh, normal Christians who uh, trusted in Jesus and who, through their lives and their love, uh, would be a light for the gospel so that all kinds of people, even people who were like me, um, could hear about Jesus. But the reason my heart sunk was because that church was now bitterly divided. Uh, so divided that their uh, spiritual life was being sucked up and their witness to the suburb was paralysed by, as it turned out, just one divisive person. My heart sunk uh, when I read that newspaper article because I cared for the area and I knew uh, the difference that the gospel can make. As Christians, uh, we should live as light uh, in this world. And yet so often the darkness of this world is what is living in us. And that, I think, is something which we uh, can see how that works out, how that happens as we've been uh, looking at um, Paul's letter to his co-worker Titus, uh, who was pastoring uh, churches which had been planted across the island of Crete. And I'd like you to try to imagine those, uh, those first-generation Christians in Crete. Uh, growing up in a culture, which we see in the letter itself, was known uh, for its, uh, for its, was notable for its lying, for its brutality, uh, for its laziness and for its, its gluttony. And so what this meant uh, was that for these people, when they'd become Christians, that there were some changes that would need to be made in their lives. And last week in chapter 3, uh, we saw um, about changes which were needed uh, for specific groups of people, um, specifically for men and specifically for women, specifically for older, specifically for younger, and specifically also for slaves in that society. And now in chapter 3, if you'd like to have that open up in front of you, there are changes for everyone which Titus is to teach. Uh, let me read to you from uh, verse 1, where Paul says to Titus, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful, peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility to all men. Now, these are things which these Cretan Christians had already been taught, but they needed a reminder, didn't they? And I guess that's understandable, isn't it? Because in their culture, whilst the gospel is pulling them in one direction, their, their culture and their old self is dragging them back into, into self-centeredness uh, by not respecting, not being helpful uh, towards those who have responsibility to govern and have rightful authority. Uh, by slandering people uh, so as to damage their reputation, damage their relationships whilst boosting their own so as to get their way. And yet God's people are to be the opposite. And the, the key here, I think, is that phrase or that statement that Paul says, that they should show true humility to all men. 
true humility to all men. It's the opposite to pride. It's the opposite to arrogance. And it means being like Jesus. It means putting the interests of other people ahead of their own. Even the interests of those who are trying to govern uh, the, the, the government, uh, the, the rulers in the island of Crete. I, I, re I read a letter to a newspaper a few years back where the writer uh, disagreed with the decision of the federal government here. And instead of thoughtfully and fairly uh, commenting on the issue, uh, the author just personally mocked and ridiculed the government minister who was responsible and just slurring uh, that person's character. <laughs> and you might say, well, uh, Scott, um, why are you surprised by that? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, that's exactly what our world is like and you should see how bad it is on social media. <laughs> it's even worse. Well, I wasn't surprised, just disappointed by the name at the end of the letter. A man who I personally knew and who is known to be a Christian. God's people are to be known for being different to the world. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Uh, especially when, uh, when the world is behaving badly towards us and we don't feel like being humble and considerate and, and peaceable. But tell me, uh, when we feel that way, what is the other thing which we need to be reminded of? Well, we need to be reminded of what we once were or what we would be like without Christ. Uh, verse 3, uh, Paul goes on to say, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating each other, but, but... Now, some of us here uh, have been raised in Christian families uh, where, uh, and perhaps you have never known a time uh, when you were without Christ. You, you, you've, you've never known a time when you were living without him. And if that is your situation, then praise God for that. I've got to tell you, that is a really terrific situation to be in. It's a good thing, but it does mean that uh, perhaps sometimes you have to imagine um, what your heart would be like and what your life would be like, how you would be living if you knew nothing of Christ, if you did not have Christ in your life at all. Others here uh, amongst us don't have to imagine that, do we? Uh, because we uh, remember only too well what we were once like. Whatever the case, without Christ, we too would be in darkness, disobeying God, deceived by the world and enslaved to the sinful passions and desires of our hearts. That's who we once were. But. Now this word but, it's a very small word, isn't it? Very short word. It's only three letters, but I've got to tell you it's a very, very important word, this word but. Check out verse 4. Paul says but. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit when he poured out 
generous, which, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, why did God save us, friends? Was it because of righteous things which we had done? Was it because we were so good that we deserved to be saved? <laughs> no. Paul says he's made it clear that we too were once foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved to, in fact, what we do deserve is judgment. Instead, it was because of his mercy in verse 4 and his grace in verse 7 that he saved us. A mercy in that God did not give us what we do deserve, judgment. Grace in that he did give us, he did give us what we do not deserve, eternal life. See, mercy and grace, they're like two sides to the same coin. And so how did he save us? We're told here by Paul, by the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, washed clean of the guilt of our sin, washed clean of our disobedience to God and our slavery to sin, washed clean by the death of Christ for us. And we've been renewed. Uh, which doesn't mean that we've been renovated. Uh, it doesn't mean that we've been you know, patched up. But it actually means that we have been made new by God's generous outpouring of his Holy Spirit into our lives. It's like, it's like your old life has been demolished and the new life has been built instead. You know, you might, if you were here with us last week, you might remember uh, when we uh, uh, looked at um, uh, how Jesus, uh, God has redeemed us by the precious blood of, of uh, our saviour Jesus and that he redeemed us for a purpose. <laughs> the key purpose was that God was creating for, for himself a new people, a new people who are eager to do what is good. God was creating for himself a brand new people. And that's us. That's us through the gospel. Now, as a Christian, um, do you ever get tired of hearing the gospel? Well, as Christians, we should never get tired of hearing the gospel because if you have experienced the mercy and the grace of God, then you have the reason, you have the motive, you have the power to be merciful and gracious to others as God has been to you. You have the power to be different to the world. And this is the difference... Uh, Sometimes people get morality um, and Christianity confused. Uh, this is the difference between truly Christian living and just plain moral living. Because we have the power, we have the motivation, we have the reason in the gospel of Jesus. Uh, in verse 8, Paul says to Titus... Uh, that uh, what he's been talking about, he says, well, this is actually a trustworthy saying. 
And he says, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Profitable for everyone. Let me tell you something which is not profitable for anyone, and that is divisiveness. You see, when someone's life is, uh, is truly shaped by the cross of Jesus so that they, like Jesus, are humble and peaceable and considerate, well, that person may not have spectacular gifts. They might not be a very confident, upfront person. They may be. But yet people are drawn to them. People are encouraged by them. And these are people who boost the spiritual health of a church. Whilst a divisive person damages the church. In verse 9, Paul says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these things are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and then after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, um, in the New Testament churches, when uh, divisiveness was a, um, was a problem, the, um, <clears throat> the pre- presenting issue, the, the surface issue, uh, was, was usually false teaching. And, and that often involved um, people teaching that faith in Christ, yes, but uh, you also need to obey certain Old Testament laws or faith in Christ, yes, but you also need to have a extra spiritual experience uh, and so that some people were, were misled and, some people, and, and would follow after them whilst others uh, would not do so, which leads to arguments, which leads to people taking sides, which leads to broken relationships, uh, not to mention uh, people being drawn away from salvation in Jesus. And when a false teacher is, um, is rebuked and corrected and uh, having a, given a chance to repent and then they keep doing it and they're rebuked and they're corrected again and they still don't repent, then what that exposes is, the, um, is their hearts. It exposes their warped and sinful heart, as Paul says. Uh, in fact, uh, in Crete, uh, there were false teachers. And in uh, chapter 1, verse 11, uh, these false teachers in Crete, Paul says, were, were motivated by dishonest gain. Not by theology, not by, the, not by some other gospel necessarily, but at the heart, they were motivated by dishonest gain. Their teaching was profitable for them. But divisiveness does not always take the same shape. Um, Paul here says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Just avoid those things. Uh, In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do 
with uh, foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. See, often the cause of divisiveness is um, the root cause is something other than false teaching. It is a warped and a sinful heart of ego, of pride and control. Warn a divisive person once, says Paul, and then warn him a second time, and after that, have nothing further to do with him. <laughs> now, does that sound harsh? Well, not when you consider what is at stake, for what is at stake is the spiritual health of God's people and their gospel witness to the world. Uh, we see something of uh, Paul's concern for gospel witness as he wraps up this letter in his conclusion. Uh, when we see that uh, Paul is making sure that his team of gospel co-workers uh, are holding together and are being cared for. Um, verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, uh, do your best to come to, be, to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Uh, one thing I love about reading that is just those really cool Greek names. Um, do you notice that? I mean, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> Artemis and uh, Apollos, uh, they actually were not named after NASA space, space programs. Uh, what they were named after was pagan gods, um, the uh, <clears throat> son and the daughter of Zeus, pagan gods. And yet, these two, well, they're now serving the true God, aren't they? They are now serving the gospel of Jesus. And as Paul, uh, you know, wants to shuffle gospel workers around to make sure that people are placed in the right positions for the sake of the gospel, uh, what we see here as he concludes the letter is that he actually wants the churches in Crete to care for the daily needs of Zenos and Apollos who were travelling through. And that, friends, it's just another, it's another good expression of, of doing good. Paul says, you know, make sure that their needs are looked after because we need to make sure that our people are, are taught to do what is good and to be productive, to be productive for the sake of the gospel. And so we come to the end of the letter of, to Titus and uh, it's... It's been, as I said in the first sermon, a blueprint for a healthy church. Um, I hope you've seen that. Uh, in chapter 1, a healthy church is led by elders uh, who, are, who, who, who are men who hold firmly to the gospel so that they can teach the truth and, they can, and then they can refute false doctrine Men who are gripped by the gospel and whose lives are shaped by the gospel. So it's not, about, um, it's not about charisma, it's more about character. And in chapter 2, a healthy church is a church where men and women, young and old, slave and free, are living lives which are like precious jewels adorning the gospel and attracting others to our Saviour God. 
And here in chapter 3, it's a church whose members reject divisiveness and show true humility to all men, to all people. It's very powerful, don't you think? But who is the church? Well, I've got to say, the church is not the denominational head office in Sydney. Um, Our church is not is not even the elders of our church. Uh, Who is the church? Who is our church? Well, it's us. It's us. It's all of us. Together, we are God's church. We are the church. Which means that the spiritual health of the church depends on the spiritual health of each one of us. Of you of me, of each of us. You know, when Paul says to, uh, to, to, for Titus to teach, uh, to avoid foolish controversies, uh, the word he uses literally means, the word for avoid literally means to turn around and to face the other way. It's good advice, don't you reckon? Good advice. Because when we allow ourselves to be drawn into and and consumed by petty controversies, you know what we're not doing? We are not doing the good and profitable things which God wants us to do. And people are not hearing the gospel through us. We're not teaching people about the Lord Jesus Christ that they too might be attracted by his grace and his mercy. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much uh, for we know that without, uh, without you that we were living disobedient and um, uh, dishonourable lives, um, that we were selfish and self-consumed. Father, we want to thank you that you didn't um, give us what we do deserve, judgment, but you gave us what we don't deserve, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, We thank you that through his blood shed on the cross that our sins have been washed away. We thank you that by your spirit coming into our lives that we have been made new, new creations. Father, we pray uh, that instead of the world living in us that we would be those who are a light to this world. And we pray even that this week you would open up opportunities for us in our workplaces, uh, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, amongst our friends, to be that light, to be different, to be a jewel adorning the gospel, uh, that uh, others would be drawn to Christ through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.